everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Geekscape Games Podcast. This is bonus stage number four, Pokemon Sun and Moon. This is Josh, the resident number two of the Geekscape Games Podcast. If you're wondering where our normal host is, he is taking a rest while we take the helm of this new special Pokemon episode. Um, here with me is our other Pokemon master and Geekscape, uh, Geekscape contributor, Adam. Hey there, how you guys doing? And we are going to go through the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the best and worst of the newest Pokemon games to come out in the main series, Generation 7, Pokemon Sun and Moon. So, to start, Adam, I just wanted to ask you what you what just your general thoughts on the game is now that we've both finished the story mode and are working our way through the post-game. Okay, well, um, I have to say, a little uh, background for me in Pokemon. Um, obviously, when it came out around the time that it was released, I, me and my brother were super big into Pokemon. You know, Red and Blue were the first games we had on the Game Boy. It was... It, it, we really spent all our time playing them. You know, um, we even played the Pokemon card game and all that, and um, we played up until about gold and silver and around the ruby sapphire generation we sort of stopped playing it because i don't know i think we were just getting a bit tired of it by then and i know there was a big thing back then when they first announced that you know because it was a big transition from game boy to game boy advance that you wouldn't be able to transfer those pokemon so i know a lot of people got upset by that and so we sort of stopped playing a little bit after um, Leaf Green and uh, Fire Red. And it sort of continued, you know, never touched Ruby Sapphire, never touched Diamond, Pearl, Platinum, Black White. But um, when I first saw the trailer for Pokemon X and Y, that actually got me really excited. Like, way more excited than I had ever been for a Pokemon game up until then. And... When I got the game, I played it for about a week or two, was really enjoying the game, and then for some reason I just stopped. I just sort of got bored of the game. Um, I don't know why. I think it was just because there was really nothing to hook me in for X and Y. It just felt a bit odd to me. Like One of my biggest problems was that I guess like it was constantly like giving out free Pokemon and it felt like much easier than any of the other Pokemon games I had played up until then. So I kind of just sort of trailed off again. Uh, and I didn't really... wasn't really uh, into Omega Ruby or Alpha Sapphire either when they announced that, but when Sun and Moon was announced, it actually got me really interested because they ended up talking about a lot of stuff like they were changing so much stuff which we can get into later so that actually got me really excited that I've again that I'd ever been for a Pokemon game and this time I decided to watch less trailers because I think another reason why I wasn't quite as pleased with X and Y when I actually had it was because they had mostly spoiled everything in that game with trailers and so Which, I feel like then in that case, it's a really good thing that you avoided the trailers for this one, because I feel like in Sun and Moon, the trailers gave away even more than X and Y did. Yeah, I, I remember um, I watched a lot of the Pokemon Sun and Moon trailers up until the 
part where they showed the uh, second evolution stages, and after that video, I stopped watching because I'm like, you know, they're just showing way too much. And then I know one video came out, and people were freaking out. I'm like, you know what? Don't tell me. I'm going to find out myself, okay? I, I actually want to be surprised by this game when this stuff happens. And I'm glad to say... Um, this is probably the most fun I've had with a Pokemon game in a while, because I had just gotten off from playing Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, which I thought was an okay game. I thought the story was, uh, pretty dumb. Uh, and I liked some of the features, but I wouldn't say it was the strongest game at all. And I was just sort of, again, bored after the Delta episode. I didn't really f feel the need to press on into that post-game. Yeah, for sure. And then as far as me, like, I've played every Pokemon game essentially since they've come out um, from Red and Blue all the way up until Sun and Moon. So I've been really invested in the changes that Sun and Moon was making, which a lot of them sounded really exciting. But once they were put into practice, I it sucks, it sucks for me to say because so many of the improvements they made into this game, I feel like were long overdue. But for every positive um, change that they made to the gameplay they did something else that makes no sense and just makes the game less fun to play. So I guess with that glowing that glowing recommendation, we'll go straight into what we thought about the meat of the game, which of course is the gameplay itself. So um, you were talking a little bit about with um, how you feel like this one is the most fun you've had playing a Pokemon game in a long time. So what, what made this one stand out to you more than other ones, do you think? Um, I think what really stood out more is that uh, Game Freak and the Pokemon Company really knew that, you know, this was going to be something very special, you know, this is the 20th anniversary of Pokemon, you know, it's insane that 20 years ago, Red and Blue debuted, and they knew that they really had to um, step it up and change a lot of things, because basically, besides from the first Pokemon game, which was Red and Blue, they've really sort of stagnated I think I think that's the word that I'm trying to think of but I'm not sure but I feel like the story has really stagnated because it always seems like they're trying to do like this big adventure and in the first game it was more like you know you're just an average kid you're starting your Pokemon journey all you want to do is just catch Pokemon and become the best and along the way you end up just stopping this uh, crime syndicate it's it's just like a little bonus thing and with with the subsequent games even though i love heart gold and soul silver and think this generation 2 is the best that's sort of where it started where you're like oh you now you're sort of a kid like an 11 year old boy or girl and now you're sort of just instead of just going on to this adventure you're instead tr trying to save the world you know you're the only one you small child eight-year-old boy you can sa only save this gigantic world from total destruction and i don't know i just i just always felt that was a bit odd but i feel like with yeah. pokemon sun and moon it still kind of has a a deeper story behind it but it's still pretty much you're going on this adventure and you're trying to become the best right and yeah, like, I, I agree with your sentiments on the story, except I feel like that started more with Ruby and Sapphire, since that was the first one where it was really like, oh, like, Team Aqua and Team Magma are gonna, like, wipe, wipe 
the world clean of like all of its water so they can make it all land which is like the dumbest yeah. plan ever. Oh, you my, said earlier yeah. how ruby and sapphire had a really stupid plot, plot. yeah but, yeah and um i, I oh, know a, i yeah i know a lot of people love the like i know a lot of people like really love ruby and sapphire but for me i just i just didn't get invested into that game i thought it was stupid i i liked some of the ideas like oh your dad's a gym leader and then you get to battle him like later in the game that was pretty cool yeah but like other than that it's like just i feel like it was a story that was trying to be like trying to be like a serious story but it was not doing that very well right and like with ruby and sapphire in particular and like we'll talk about it later because at the end of this podcast i want us to rank all of the pokemon generations we've played up to this point and from best to worst but yeah i mean i agree with what you're saying where ruby and sapphire the originals were like the first ones that i never like that it took me a really long time to finish but i mean aside from that like sun and moon's story is it's weird because you're right in the sense that the main story has like more intimacy as far as it being focused on your actual journey as growing as a trainer as opposed to a lot of this end of the world stuff but i mean the end of the world stuff is still very like ever present and i thought that the pacing of the story was actually really poorly done and it's funny i th- I feel like we're going to be playing good cop bad cop here a little bit but, but <laughs> devil's advocate yeah devil's advocate so like with the story i like the way they did it but and i should have said this in the beginning of the show but of course this is going to be as i mentioned in the beginning we both finished the game so this is going to be a full full-on spoiler cast so if you have not finished the game up until this point now would be a good time to hit the pause button go finish up the last little bit of adventure that you have left and then come back and listen. But um, moving on to the later part of the game, like for the most part, it's like the two organizations that are in the game are the Aether Foundation and the, and Team Skull. Now, Team Skull, for the most part, are just like comic relief and no one takes them seriously. But all of a sudden, like when you finish, when you're about three-fourths through the game, it's revealed that essentially Team Skull was a front and the Aether Foundation was the real were the ones pulling the strings because they were using their research to like pull these new creatures called Ultra Beasts from another dimension, which would threaten, of course, to destroy the world like every other Pokemon plot since Ruby and Sapphire. <laughs> but, but the the why the reason why I say the pacing is poor is because you know Team Skull is an afterthought, and the Aether Foundation is supposed to be good, and at that point once you once that whole reveal happens and you chase team skull to their base like the next three or four hours of the game is just straight trainer battles like straight from team skull's hideout to the aether foundation to fighting lusamine and like finding the i mean there's a small gap in between when you fight lusamine the first time and when you go into the ultra dimension but for the most part it's like three four hours of just straight trainer battles and it got to the point where I was already tired of it when I got to the Team Skull Mansion, and then they expected me to go through the entire Aether Foundation immediately after, and I was just kind of like rolling my eyes a little bit, and I was like, "Can I? could you guys have sprinkled this a little bit throughout Islands 2 and 3 so I could just go back to my island challenge? Yeah, because, uh, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, go Oh, no, go ahead. Okay, I, I just want to bring up that, like, not like basically there's always this uh looming there's always this looming presence of the aether foundation because on almost all islands they have like little outposts that you can go to and you know there's constantly people always talking about the aether foundation you know oh they're so great they're so nice they they uh they help pokemon that have been harassed or hurt by team skull 
you know. So they they've already like set up this front to show that you know oh yes they are good people they are healing these sick and harmed wounded Pokemon from Team Skull. But like I think my favorite part is that Team Skull they're just basically like like nobody cares about them like very early on in the game you're meeting up with a couple of people and like there's a t two Team Skull members that end up coming right behind you, and they're like, oh, okay, it's just Team Skull. Anyways, what were we saying about the island challenge? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, like, no one takes them seriously. It's a it's a huge contrast to, like, the other evil teams in all the other games where they're considered a threat. Whereas, and that's one thing that I do want to give the game credit for, is that their villains are unique in the sense that the real threat is in the background, but the the front in Team Skull, like, no one takes them seriously. Even, like, NPCs who aren't trainers are just like, oh, it's Team Skull, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, um, th that's probably, like, my favorite part is that they, they sort of addressed, like, the how crazy and out of hand, like, the teams were getting because I, I don't know much about the uh, teams after Ruby and Sapphire, but um, I've, ha I've watched a little bit of Pokemon Generations, which is a great miniseries, by the way, if you guys haven't seen that on uh, YouTube. But, um... Uh, like, I was looking at one of the episodes with Team Plasma, and, you know, they were doing this whole evil thing, like, trying to harness this the energy from the legendaries to destroy the world and open up a different dimension. And I'm like, oh, I'm just tuned out of this. <laughs> this is just, this is just a, a bit too insane for me. But I, I love how they sort of went back and went, okay, you know. Wait, wait, sorry. Was that Team Plasma or Team Galactic? Um, I'm actually not sure if it was Team Plasma. I think it was Team Plasma because it was a uh, Diamond and Pearl. It was a uh, oh, oh, that would Diogo. have been Galactic then. Oh, Galactic. Okay. Yeah, because I was re I was thinking back on the plot and I was like, wait, that sounds more like those. But yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. It just started getting way out of hand. Yeah. So yeah, it it was such a refreshment to see these these goofy side characters and all that and I, I just love the personalities of most of the Team Skull thugs uh, like you were talking about when you go to the Team Skull mansion uh, you can enter a room where there's uh, two Team Skull thugs like um, fighting with each other about like the uh, the shirts that they're wearing and stuff oh yeah <laughs> and they sort of make a comment that's like oh I'm gonna write my name on it so you don't get it this time and it's like what's the point we're all named Team Skull thug yeah, right. That was and yeah, and there's a lot of like self-referential humor. Like I feel like ever since Gen like Black and White that they started doing more of the tongue-in-cheek writing, but it seemed to really go up in this game, which um like speaking of like the rest of the writing and the characters though, before we move on to gameplay, uh Lily on the online seems to be a controversial character, either people love her or people hate her. Which side of the fence are you on? Um, I actually really enjoy her character, you know? I, I I really like the idea of someone who's sort of trying. She wants to become a Pokemon trainer, but she she can't really do it, you yeah, know? Yeah, and she's, like, I, against fighting through most of the game, too, which is her biggest, like, barrier. But she... Yeah. And I agree. Like, I think that she's a great character in the sense that she still sticks by her side and finds a way through all these dangerous areas without a Pokemon, and she's yeah, always there to support you. And then when times get tough, whether it was running away with Nebby or um, trying to rescue Nebby once he's kidnapped, it's like, you know, she's always willing to rise to that challenge. So I actually don't understand the hate that she's getting at all. 
Yeah, no, I'm not understanding it either because um, actually one of my favorite parts, which I think develops really a bit more, is um, after you we meet Lusamine inside the uh, Aether Foundation and, you know, she, she leaves with Guzma to get the uh, Ultra Beasts and, you know, Lily really makes a stand there and so does uh, her brother, which, oh my gosh, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. Glacian, uh, I think? Yeah, 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 Something Glacian. Like um... Which I guess we can talk about Glacian a little bit later, but um, um, no, yeah, Lily really makes a stand, and some of my favorite parts of her character are when you're on Executor Island trying to get the moon, the moon flute, and she talks to you about how she had this really intimate moment with her mother once, where they were playing in the rain and stuff because she saw singing in the rain. Oh yeah. I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah, I was like, singing I, in the I rain really is such a weird it. reference to put into Pokemon of all things. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you think that fuels it further that Pokemon takes place like ages after like like regular animals have been wiped from existence. <laughs> <laughs> but yet there are still these weird things. Um, and I, then I also like when you're going to summon um, the legendary Pokemon, which in our case is Lunala, since we both had Moon version. Um, when you're you're traversing through the final area, you know, Lily's sort of going through her own trials. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like black and white still have the best story overall, but this is a very solid number two. And a big reason why, aside from Lily and her development, is that they did a good job of building a connection to the game's legendary, which in this case is Nebby, who all is which is like her companion Pokemon that she has from the beginning. And in the end, it ends up being what the cover Pokemon, depending which version you have, Sun or Moon. So it's more than just like some legendary beast that's capable of destroying the world that you have to tame like every other game. And instead, you have an emotional connection to it because you spent the whole game helping Lily protect it. And I yeah. thought that that was really, really well done. It got to the point where I never use legendaries in my story. But after that all happened, like I just really i just wanted to have lunala with me all the time because of the way that <laughs> things way transpire that. and i need to go on a rant about kukui but before that, before that <laughs> there's one thing i wanted to mention too about the aether foundation that i thought was really interesting is that right before you fight lusamine they make a point to show that all of her favorite pokemon she has stored but she has them stored in this like cryogenic like freezing thing and they're trying to make it sound really evil but when and they they imply it but it's not expressly said but in reality is like that's really no different from what you do where you just shove the pokemon you're not using into a box and they sit there for five years <laughs> until you transfer them to the next generation and it like so, and I'll, once we talk about our overall ratings i'll talk more about why i really love black and white story but this is getting close to the same levels of black and white where it's really questioning the humanity of what you do as a pokemon trainer and they could they can dress it up and say oh they're your friends and they choose to be with you when you throw the pokeball but we all know that's a bunch of crap and that you're essentially taking them out against their will and it the game this game does a good job of not overt like i said it's not overt because i guess it's still like a kids game and they don't want it to get too crazy but that is a point that they touch on like what's the difference between her abusing nebby so that it'll give her to the get her to the ultra beasts as opposed to you making your pokemon fight until they pass out multiple times so that you could catch this legendary or whatever <laughs> but yeah but, but it's like but, you 
it, you spent all that time in space trying to catch that deoxygen. Where does it go? Whoop! In the box. Yeah, exactly. Right afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, that that's not focused on a whole lot in the game, but it's focused on enough so that if you think about it, you know, it gives you a little bit more depth in the story, which I really appreciated. But above all else, I can't talk about the story or the characters without talking about Kukui, which we've talked plenty about Team Skull, Luzamine, but I feel like Kukui is a real villain of this game. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> He's, throughout the whole game, I mean, he comes off as super friendly, but also kind of a douche. Like, he just kind of barges in your house. He's, like, he's, he's like vaguely flirting with your mom, and it turns out he's married. Like, he's married. Um, like just all this. But it, for the most part, it's harmless. And through the whole game, he's essentially mentoring you. Where it's like, you know, he's teaching you the importance of Pokemon moves. He teaches you about Z moves. Um, he um, keeps telling you about his glory days where he tried to win the... Kanto Pokemon League, but he got beaten. It turns out, like, close to the end of the game, he tells you that essentially he got beaten by Lance, like the last yeah. member of the Elite Four. <laughs> and Lance just sent him crying. Yeah, pretty much. And then, you know, he goes on and on. Like, the whole game, he's like, Alola deserves its own Pokemon League. Alola deserves this and that. We should show that we're the best trainers in the world. And he kind of grooms you throughout your island challenge. So once you complete all the island challenges, they open up the Pokemon League. And this is where I start feeling like, even though the game doesn't expressly say this, he's like the real villain of the game as far as I'm concerned. As as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Because he opens the Pokemon League, right? First, yeah. he tells you that island challenge tradition is that the four, you have to fight the four kahunas in a row. And then that makes you, that completes your island challenge. And he said he was replicating that with the Pokemon League. Except when you get to the Pokemon League, only two of them are the kahunas. And then the other two are different <laughs> peoples, and one of them you've never even met before. Yeah, so I'm just it's like a golfer. A, what was that? I, w- wasn't she like a golfer or a tennis player? Yeah, and then like you know, you don't even know who like she is, and all of a sudden there's a flying type trainer that you had no idea to prepare for. And then so you beat all four team members, and they keep driving home this fact that you're the very first, you're fighting to be the very first Alola champion because we just opened the Pokemon League. So yeah. you walk in, you sit on your throne after beating all four, and then who walks in but that asshole? And then he was like, congratulations on beating the Elite Four. Now to truly be champion, you have to beat me. And it's like it's like red and blue in reverse, because <laughs> in, red, in red and blue, blue was the champion. But you didn't ambush him because he knew he was you were right behind him. So he prepared, he healed up his Pokemon, and he was the one who ambushed you. But this is the same thing in reverse. You were the first champion... And that asshole was right behind you without you even realizing it. So then he walks uh, in he with walks- his full team. You're still hurt because you didn't know what to do, like to heal your Pokemon. Or even if you did know to heal them just in case, you're still down. Like you're still most likely either down items or down health or down PP or whatever it is. And he just barges in and tries to become the champion himself. And it totally came off to me as like he set this whole thing up so he can make build a strong trainer. So he could beat them and kind of build up his own ego and build up his own, like, his own reputation to be the first Alola champion because he failed in Kanto. And it makes me look back at the entire game and be like, this son of a bitch trained you up to be this great trainer just so he could beat you at the end. end." (laughs) Yeah, um, I think, like, I think it's, like, the funniest thing that basically why Alola has a Pokemon League now is basically, um... 
Kukui got mad that he uh, lost, and so he basically pulled a bender, and he's just like, fuck you, I'm going to make my own Pokemon League with Blackjack and Hookers. And, you know, he just starts building it. And he's like... Yeah. <laughs> and he basically just recruits you into it and basically, like, strong-arms you. He's like, yeah, you beat all the island challenges, but, you know, now we have a new tradition all of a sudden. You have to go and face the Pokemon League now. Yeah, and then it was just such... Like, for one... For one, on one hand, it was really like from a gameplay standpoint, it was cool because it breaks tradition where it's not just a champion. And that's the first time outside of cheats since you could battle Professor Oak with like, uh, by like getting into the code of red and blue. But otherwise, it was like the first time that you had a battle against the professor, let alone it being the last boss. And he was actually really interesting in the sense that he has stealth rock and uses stealth rock in his very first turn. So it's like whenever you, and you were talking about how this one's more challenging earlier. So it's like every time, you know how it's kind of cheap, how when the computer, when you beat one of their Pokemon, it tells you what the next one's going to be. So you could choose a switch, but unless you had the foresight to bring something with rapid spin to get rid of Stealth Rock, like every time you switch, you would take damage. Yeah, and uh, just as a side thing, I want to say, um, with the that uh, the the effect the effectiveness bars that appear in the battles now, I didn't think I'd actually enjoy that, but... Once I started getting into the game and started seeing how that worked, I actually ended up really enjoying it because then it allowed me to um, actually think a bit more ahead and see what I want to take out now. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like it just saves time because everybody pretty much knows what the types are, and if you don't, what's stopping you from looking them up online? You know, you know. Yeah, and that that's another thing. It's like I know people were like at first very uh, skeptical about it but then it's like you know really we all sort of already know the matchups and you know who who's not going to just o- already automatically choose what's super effective or not against that pokemon yeah for sure which you know now that you mentioned that that brings us more into the gameplay aspect of it and that's actually one of the positive changes that the game made i thought and uh just to run down the list a little bit of positive changes before i get into the things that i didn't like um like the type, like you mentioned, the typings, I feel like is a plus because, like you, like you were saying, it's like, what's the point of hiding it? These games have been around forever. Aside from fairy type, all the types have been the same since for like, fifteen years. Um, and if you really don't know, you, like people could just look it up, and it's kind of the same as the exp share, where a lot of people think it makes it too easy. But to me, it's like it's a completely optional thing. Where, well, the EXP share, you could turn it off. With this, In this case, you can't turn it off, but if you know it already, it's not going to change anything. Like, you'd still be picking those attacks, so it doesn't really affect anything. And that and being able to keep track of how much of, the, uh, like how much of their attack and defense and etc. has gone down or up instead of having to me- uh, like keep it in your memory, I feel like was a big plus, too. Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest strengths of adding these two new features is that um, it really does help introduce, uh, re- it either helps introduce or reintroduce brand new people to Pokemon to make it a bit more easier and streamlined, and I don't think that's a bad thing because, you know, I, I, I've heard about a lot of people, you know, who actually played Pokemon Go who ended up actually, you know, buying a 3DS, buying the original Virtual Console games, and, you know, who are now going into Sun and Moon, you know. 
they're 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 finally taking a step further into the series and finally discovering more um, than what Pokemon Go had to offer. And so now them coming in, it's really easy for them to get in because it very much in the beginning of the game explains to you everything without feeling like it's too hand-holding. Like how this trainer school at the beginning of the game teaches you about typing and basically weaknesses. And that's something I really enjoy, how easy it is now to access the game for newcomers. Yeah, for sure. And that's actually something that was a negative for me, though, is that I did feel like I'm not going to go as far as some a lot of people are saying where that I don't feel like it holds your hand too much exactly, but I do feel like if you've played these games before, you should have been able to skip a lot of the intro stuff because like the first like good three or four hours is a lot of really basic explanation, which like you said is good for newcomers, but someone like me who's played every generation from the, the day that it comes out from since 1996 all the way till today or whenever they were released here in the United States, it's like like the beginning of the game really dragged to me because it was like, I, I know all this already. Like, and not just the type matchups, but like really basic stuff, you know, like, like what this is what poison does or whatever. And yeah, I, I, I can see that because, you know, for, for a lot of veterans, this is like the seventh time in a row. They're like, Oh, let me teach you how to catch Pokemon and stuff. Ooh, here's a couple of Pokeballs. Watch me first. Yeah. And even in those games though, that was, that only took like five minutes. This game, I feel like you're in tutorial mode for the first three or four hours. So it does get a little grating, but again, it's all about accessibility. And I feel like they, with the, especially with the Alola forms, where all of them are just Gen 1 Pokemon, that they were making a very conscious effort to hook people who haven't played since Red or Blue, or people who played Pokemon Go and bought a 3DS now, like you were saying. Yeah. So, I'm, and so I, I, I think that was their, basically the main thing about this game they were trying to lure in back people who had only you you know played the original pokemon while still having a good selection of many pokemon from across the generations because up until now i had when i had played through uh omega ruby alpha sapphire recently i thought that was like the best distribution of pokemon that they had i think they had a really good balance in that game but now going into Sun and Moon, I think Sun and Moon actually has the best balance overall. You know, they take from almost every gen, you know. There's still a bunch of, like, Gen 1 and 2 Pokemon in there. But, you know, sprinkled in throughout the game are, you know, Ruby Sapphire, Diamond Pearl, Black White, you know. Hmm. That's interesting, too, because that's probably one of my least favorite things about the game is I thought the distribution was one of the worst out of any of them. Really? <laughs> but right. for me, it's like, you're right. You're not wrong, because... There are, like, Pokemon from every gen sprinkled throughout. But the thing is that in every Pokemon game that I've played, like, you know, certain Pokemon show up frequently in certain areas and certain ones don't. In this game, it feels like the same Pokemon frequently appear throughout the entire game and that it takes a really long time to find the new stuff. Like, for example, it's like, I think Alola Rattata is, like, every everywhere. And if it's not Rattata, it's Raticate. And even in... Even in every other version where you had Pokemon that are super common, like Pidgey or Pidgeotto, there would be a lot of routes and areas where those don't show up anymore, and those are replaced with a few, with mostly new common ones, so that way you're not, you know, just seeing the same things over and over again. But on this game, it got to the point where I just stopped looking for wild Pokemon after a while, because every, 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 every piece of tall grass 
I was guaranteed to find like three or four ratatas or raticates before I found something new. Or when you're fishing, oh my god, like every... For one thing in this game, fishing, you can't just fish anywhere anymore. You have to go to like designated spots. Yeah, but, uh, fishing's but. basically been restricted a bit to these uh, these little holes in the ground, basically. Sort of like a... What? Like a little... Like little coves, little, uh, no, not coves. I don't yeah, know. but yeah, I, yeah, but I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, you're going to these uh, little holes in the ground, and you're basically just fishing there. But I, I, I will say that's a that is a downside for me. I think the um, the water type Pokemon in this game has been severely limited because I can't tell you how many times I've been fishing, and the only things I get are either a Magikarp, a um, a Goldeen. Or just a tentacle. That's like it. Yeah, and it's like, and it it doesn't change throughout the entire game. That's again, that's like my biggest frustration with the distribution. Because technically, yes, if you go to that, like in the fourth island, you can find some new Pokemon, like that one anchor Pokemon. That's like a, like a living anchor. I can't remember. Yeah, it's uh, Delmize. I really like that Pokemon. I really like the. Uh, I actually really like the. Uh, I I like it. Yeah. And I really like that one too, but it's only in one spot in the game, and it's the fourth island. And I was fishing there for like an hour, and it was all Magikarps and like five Whalemers the whole time. And never found yeah. it. And it's like... Oh, they- really? Because like, I found it on like my first try. I just like went into one of the houses, went to like the back of the house, and then started fishing. Yeah. And, and that was like yeah. the first thing. And that's thing. the only place that you can find it. And I know that... I read online somewhere that... And of course... I haven't verified this and I don't know if I could without actually going into the coding of the game, but from what a lot of people were saying that there's a lot of Pokemon with like 1% encounter rates, which makes complete sense if I'm sitting there fishing for an hour and I'm getting 50 Magikarps and 5 Whalmer the whole time and not the thing that I'm looking for. And I know it's there too because the Pokedex you know, says you have to fish here to get it. And that's just one, of, one example of many because um, Corsola I never found and I was fishing for an hour and a half. Like after an hour, I found a love disc which I had never seen before. But other than that, it was just Magikarp and the occasional wishy washy. Um, um, in- yeah, but uh, I, I sort of had the same problem because um, yesterday I was up almost all night looking for a Happiny, you know, the uh, baby version of Chansey. Uh, Chansey, yes. And so the Pokédex was showing, like, oh, it's literally on like Route 2, like in Melee Melee. So. I was constantly trying to look for it, and I could never find it. But basically what I had to do was I had I had a rare encounter with a Bonsley. And so what I did was I used one of the new items, the Adrenaline Orb. And that basically uh, made the Bonsley very nervous. And when it called out for help, it called out for a uh, Happiny. So that's how I was able to get it. Right. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, because that probably leads me to my least favorite feature in the entire game which is the pokemon's ability to call for help and on the surface and just like on the most basic level it's a it's a good thing because in x and y and ruby and omega ruby alpha sapphire there was the horde battle mechanic where you'd have a chance to like fight five wild pokemon at once and people use that for quick like ev training or you had a higher chance of finding them with their hidden ability Whereas in this one, there's no horde battles, but replacing that is once the Pokemon drops to below half health, 
they have a chance to call for help, which is a mechanic that's in other RPGs where sometimes the enemy will have an ability where they can call for like an extra enemy to attack you. Now, yeah, like in uh, Earthbound. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, like that's, exactly. That's one of Earthbound, the most fun things. And there's, you know, there's a ton of other RPGs too. So uh, yeah, and, and can I just say that um, talking about horde battles, that was probably one of my least favorite aspects of X and Y and Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, just for the fact that it would basically cut the frame rate of the 3DS to like 10 frames per second making it almost unplayable but if when you play double battles in this game especially if it's against a trainer then the the uh frame rate drops just as bad though too yeah yeah, yeah. i know so that we can we can get that into that a bit later if you want to yeah for sure but like the call for help thing the reason why it sucks isn't just be isn't the mechanic itself the mechanic itself on paper is great because that way you can have more and more pokemon coming in you can build up more experience or ev points if you were trying to ev train um, you have a higher chance of finding either shinies or um, hidden ability Pokemon that way. So all of that's well and good, but the fatal flaw in this feature is that you can't catch one of the Pokemon if there's two on the field, which when it was Horde Battles, I could get it. I get it in a way because there was five of them, but I still didn't even like it when it was with Horde Battles. But now it's just two Pokemon and they say oh we're um, more than one pokemon on the field you can't aim at one of them and i'm like that's the dumbest thing in the world especially because it's like not not only does it make no common sense but the way that the mechanic works is that when they call for help it doesn't take up their turn like they attack and then at the end of both your turns it'll call for help and it has like a chance of working either working or not working um so what happens is that you can end up in like a almost infinite loop where you'll you'll beat one of the Pokemon and then you're going to try to catch the other one. But then when that turns over where you defeated the second Pokemon, it calls for help and another one comes. And it creates this cycle that takes that's kind of hard to break, especially when I think I was trying to catch a Beldum, which has a really which is really hard to catch anyway. And the only move it knows is takedown, which does damage to itself. And I was just in a battle for 40 minutes trying to catch one where it kept breaking out of my Pokeball. It would call for help. It would use takedown and kill itself. Then I would weaken the other one. Then that one would call for help, kill itself with takedown. And I ended up fighting like, I think 10 of them in that same battle before I finally caught it. Yeah, I am going to completely agree with you. Um, at, at first glance, I was... Um... I was like, oh, this is an interesting mechanic. This can go places. But um, it quickly turned into something very frustrating as um, it gets very annoying and tedious. And like you said, you can't catch um, a Pokemon if there are two on the field, which just boggles me because you, you should be able to do that. It's not like there. it's a horde battle where there's like five or six of them. There's only two. And for some reason, that, that just confuses the game way too much for some reason. And... Um, Basically, I, I had a same horror story with you. Like, my first time in the Diglett Cave when I was in uh, Akala Island, I took one step, encountered a Zubat, and basically every single turn it called for help. And so it took me 30 minutes to finally, like, get out of that battle because the Zubat just kept calling for more Zubats every time I killed one. Yeah. It, it, they, it, they summoned, like, eight of them, and I was just so fed up. I, I, I forgot how I even made it out, but after that, I'm like, you know what? I'm going somewhere else right now to do other things. <laughs> yeah, because it's ridiculous. It yeah, gets insanely frustrating, especially if you're trying to catch it. 
Because if you're trying to catch it, then it's just taking you forever to do something that should only take like two minutes. But yeah, aside from that, I would I do want to move on to what we thought of the new Pokemon. But before we do, I just want to touch on a few of the other important gameplay changes. So on the positive side, there's no more HMs. Those are all replaced by the um, Poke... What was it called? The Poke... Yeah, the Poke Rider. So... Um, you know, the much talked about feature where you, instead of having to hoard a bunch of useless moves on one Pokemon that eats up a space in your party, now you just call Pokemon to help. And I thought that was handled really well. And the most hilarious one is the very last one you get, which is the Machamp that uses strength and how it's just, it's like the, it's just, it's just cradling you in its arms, like a small child. Yeah. It's like cradling you with its bottom arms while it's like pushing rocks with its top arms. It's like the most hilarious thing. Um, I th- go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. I I actually really do like this. Um, because HMs. Yeah. HMs were like a thing of the past. You know. They even uh, reference that in one of the uh, parts in the game where uh, girls like, oh, here. Uh, take this H. Take this. Uh, take take this TM. It's for fly. But actually, in Kanto and other regions, we call these HMs because they're harder to find. So HMs don't exist in Alola because they're just common. They're just more common. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. And by the way, I know they probably um, put this in previous Pokemon games, but I do like how uh, TMs are not a one-use thing anymore. I like how they just basically stay with you yeah, now. I think and that you can just I th- take them on and off whenever you want I to. I think that was since Diamond and Pearl. I'm, um, yeah, I'm almost positive it was since Diamond and Pearl. But yeah, that, that, that feature is a lifesaver because when they were one use, it was terrible. It would give you anxiety trying to figure out which one to give this one move to that you could never use on another Pokemon again unless you bought another copy and traded it over or something. Yeah, I know. Um, I was actually playing the Virtual Console version of Yellow uh, earlier this year and something came up where I wanted to give one of my Pokemon a TM so I I had to go through the money of saving up all that money and then buying the TM and only to find out that it was unusable with that Pokemon. So I had just wasted my money on that. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, but I mean, that's definitely a positive change that's been made over the years. But um, as far as what they've done with this one, um, aside from the HMs, I feel like the biggest positive change they've made is just shaking up the whole gym system and replacing them with the island challenge because i don't know if you felt this way but the totem po- like when you battle the kahunas it just pretty much felt like business as usual where they specialize in a type and then you just fight them and then win but before you could get to those points you had those totem battles and i felt like the totem battles were actually really challenging like where i i really enjoyed the uh totem battles and I actually have to say, uh, going if we're going just into the trials in general, I really enjoyed how um, how different they were. Like uh, probably some of my favorite ch- uh, challenges, just for how weird they were, were the um, was the jungle challenge where you're going around finding all this stuff for a recipe to uh, right. to lure the totem out, and you know you get to play a little uh, mini game that is uh, very. Uh, sexualized <laughs> and a bit uncomfortable in some places but um i i really did enjoy that and the other one was um the fire challenge i actually laughed really hard at that yeah, one like the fire challenge is weird because you're expecting it to be like a legitimately hard challenge where you're gonna have to like keep a close eye but 
they completely subvert your expectations and they make the answers really easy but by making them really funny like having the tourist randomly jump in front and they're like what's changed in the picture yeah um and i actually like that because at first it it, it does trick you into thinking it's going to be serious because one of the cubones is actually facing the other no, no the marowaks one of the marowaks is actually facing the other way in one of them and it's like oh that marowak was so impressed with you that he just needed to battle you but then it goes into like the second one is like oh the hiker was so impressed that he just needed to battle you and then like the third one just the the totem pokemon shows up out of nowhere and it's like oh the totem pokemon was so impressed he just had to battle you (laughs) yeah and like we were saying earlier too the game i feel like has a great sense of humor more so than most of the other ones but yeah i mean those like the actual totem battles too were felt like for the first time in the entire series felt like legitimate boss fights where some of them were really 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 challenging i feel like especially the the grass one was the one that i had the hardest time with like i barely scraped by on that one after the Lu- oh. Luna- what is it called uh luantis lunatis like the the bacon mantis whatever that one's called whatever that um, one's called. <laughs> um it like has a special uh, oh, attack boosted special and then attack. it calls in a cast form that uses sunny day which makes its strongest attack which is normally a two-turn attack makes it go through in one turn so it's like it just keeps stomping all over your pokemon and it's yeah i mean it felt like a legitimate even with the exp share it felt like a legitimate challenge more so than any of the other boss battles or gym battles in other pokemon games uh yeah yeah i really did enjoy the po uh the totem battles mostly because uh one of the coolest things is that like there is actually like danger in it because like at one point it will use its z move on you and it'll just like completely obliterate you at some point and then um gonna we have about 20 minutes left so i'm gonna try to speed through the rest of the gameplay but since that's pretty much everything that i loved about it so now that you mentioned z moves i'm gonna start talking about things i didn't like starting with z moves because at the end of the day they just it's it's good in the sense that with Mega Evolution, it prioritized the Pokemon that could Mega Evolve and everyone else was kind of left behind, which I'm... So on that sense, I'm glad that Z-moves are inclusive by type so every Pokemon could use them. Uh, but I don't like how the way that they're implemented is just they're they're either glorified... They're like glorified one-hit KO moves, I feel. Like, you know, you'll call in the Pokemon that's strong against the one you're fighting, use Z-move, and and that's it and at the end of the day i feel like they're not really that useful because there's so many great hold items that can strengthen your pokemon in more flexible ways that the fact that they're forced to hold the z crystal to use the attack is taking up a valuable slot that could be used for like a choice item or evil light depending on what you're using or like a variety of other things and i mean i can see where you're coming from i mean obviously because you know why would with your thinking i think you'd probably be saying something like why would i want to use a z move when i can just use that regular move and it would still be just as effective as if i use that yeah and not just that but then you'll also have the benefit of a different hold item that's more flexible instead of just giving you access to one super attack yeah um but uh, personally um i i i just enjoy them on a casual level you know just using them for fun i've i've already used them in a couple of uh online battles with some friends and I've been enjoying them, but obviously, yes, they do take up that very important item move that you could, you know, use on something else like um, a speed boost. And 
can I just say on a side note, like all the new Pokemon in this game are like super slow. Oh god, I know. And well, yeah, and the next, um, I wanted to talk about Pokemon next, so we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, like it, I feel like they're almost actively trying to make you stick to the Gen One Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're just really slow. It's like um, I feel like going to the Festival Plaza, which I guess we'll also talk about a little bit. Um, like you probably have to go to one of those bounce houses to increase their stats, you know, a bit. Yeah, like, and Pokemon, like, the Pokemon Plaza is just, it's such a nightmare to navigate, because if you're unfamiliar with what it is, it's basically the new way that you connect to your friends or strangers online, and to me, X and Y and Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire had it perfect, where, you know, you just connect to the internet, and then all your friends are listed, Um, anybody who's nearby locally was listed, and then it gave you, like, a huge list of strangers from around the world who happen to be playing, and you can just interact with them with the touch of a you know with the touch of the touch screen with this one they tried to implement that same mechanic but with like but with like a bunch of other mini games that you can play to build up currency for special items but it's such a it's such a mess like it's laid out so horribly like it's really hard to find people that you're looking for even if you go to like your friends list half the time they won't show up and you'll be furiously texting each other back and forth saying i'm online where are you and they're like i'm online i don't see you either i i think the biggest thing to take from this is um it suffers from what i think is the uh, smash brothers menu syndrome where um you basically at one point in the previous entry in the series you had this really good nice layout which showed you all the stuff like brawl and melee they had really concise and easy to navigate menus and then for Smash Bros. 3DS and Wii U and Pokemon Sun and Moon, there are just these big buttons that take you to so many different sub-menus. It's, it just gets very confusing and frustrating. Yeah. And, like, and like here's the thing. I'm not against them trying something new with it, but I feel like they should have kept them both. Like, you should have still had the X and Y layout where you can easily access your friends list. But if you tap on the menu to go to the uh, Festival Plaza, you could still do all of that too and not have to have it all forced into that one overly complicated not complicated that's not the right word but like you know overly convoluted crowded confusing menu that like that's just so inefficient compared to what they had before and like you were saying with like the smash brothers comparison it does seem like every generation has at least one really good feature that the next generation cuts out for something worse worse and yeah like um building on that i want to say that the omega ruby and alpha sapphire while i was playing it i loved the uh pokenav plus feature it was very a very welcome addition because it was basically like okay here's all the pokemon we're, we're gonna tell you how many pokemon are in this area and when you have caught them all so that you can finally move on and you don't have to just keep blindly looking for them and i i love the thing how you could even track pokemon separately like if you're like oh i want to find a very um i want to keep hunting uh bonsleys to maybe get find like a level 15 one in a patch of like level four and you know this also increases my chances of a shiny every time i defeat one more of them but you know they completely uprooted it again in uh sun and moon and i thought that was a real shame i mean they kind of have it i mean there's still like random pokemon that come out and attack you sometimes but i don't think it was really well thought through as it was in omega ruby alpha sapphire where you know you could sneak up behind a pokemon and not just that but those pokemon in this game only show up in like 
four areas the whole game. It's like it's very, it's very, it happens so little that you pretty much forget it exists until you come across it again. Yeah, it's very situational, and most of the times it was just, um, it was very annoying to me because I'd be trying to get someplace quickly, and then like all of a sudden I'd I'd brush by a bush, and then it, something would attack me from there. And so I'd have to just sit through the cutscene of the Pokemon shadow attacking me and then it going into the battle system and then me running away and then just going to another tree and then it all happening yeah, again. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, the games should just completely abandon uh, random encounters and should just completely focus on what they did with the Pokenav where the only time that you get into a battle like even even with the pokenav there were still random battles mixed in with the sneaking but to me they should just completely get rid of random battles altogether and have everything be pokenav encounters or something similar because i i would love to see that happen if the uh, pokemon stars rumor for nintendo switch is real i would love to see them re-implement pokenav plus and just expand more on yeah, that yeah because it's like and i don't know if you felt this either but it seems like they lowered the encounter rate when you're surfing or when you're in caves but they really upped the encounter rate in grass because there were so many times where i would only take like two steps like especially in those oricorico caves where just nothing but grass pretty much um definitely i will say i feel like they definitely did that because i can't tell you how frustrating it was to go through that one desert area and just every now and then keep running into people keep running into a random encounter every couple of steps like i i just got fed up and put on repel but even then you know the the wild aggressive pokemon still attacked me yeah. so i really wasn't safe most of the time right and then yeah and, and just just to wrap up the gameplay section a little bit um how now almost every route there's a trainer that you can only fight if you beat all the other trainers which was annoying because i just kind of wanted to get it over with um uh, there was i actually I thought actually thought it was, that was kind of interesting, but I don't think they did much with yeah, it. I thought it was interesting, especially because they give you really like normally hard to get items when you beat them. But it was just very poorly implemented. Like if nothing else, they should have been at the end of the route, but they're almost always at the fr at the beginning of it. So it's like you have to backtrack through all the grass to get to them afterwards, and it, and it just made it obnoxious. Uh, one more thing I want to touch on, actually, before we moved on, was qu very quickly, uh, Pokemon Pelago and Pokemon Refresh, and which, going to Pokemon Refresh, it's basically a tweaked version of Pokemon and Me from X and Y and Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, and actually, I really enjoy that. I actually think they made some really cool changes, like, I love how basically, like, you can heal status effects now, after a battle in that there, if you're playing through. So, like, even if you've run out of, like, antidotes or awakenings, you can still have a way to refresh your Pokemon afterwards before going into the next yeah, battle. I thought that was really well done, too, and especially how they get, like, the Pokemon will get dirty from battle and you have the option of cleaning them afterwards. So it, it basically took Pokemon and me and applied it to the rest of the gameplay instead of making it feel completely separate. And they also, like, yeah, and and they I also streamlined like it to the point where you didn't have to like constantly pay attention to them for hours you could just feed them a rainbow bean and their affection would go up like three hearts so you didn't have to like dedicate a ton of time to it anymore either either yeah i i actually really love that also and um i i I'm, <laughs> i like i'm slightly disappointed that they got rid of some of the mini games but on the other hand i can see it because they really didn't do much for the game mm. really yeah and like on that subject too with the rest of pokemon palago it's like 
it gives you like a bunch of different islands to for your boxed Pokemon to be able to level up. Like one of them lets you either raise their EV points or level up, level them up. One lets them go into caves to find treasure. One basically is just a, a place to harvest beans so you can upgrade the rest of them. And then one to grow berries. And then what was the last one? Oh, the, the um, hot spring. It was like... Which is just to make them more friendly, essentially. And uh, I, I just kind of want to say that, like, it, it's sort of like... I, I kind of enjoyed, but it's sort of like a glorified um, iOS game, you know, one of those weird, like, village games that you buy just you're just tapping and stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah. You, you just, like, because it also has a similar system where you're using the uh, po- poke beans, which you now use to feed the Pokemon instead of the poke yeah. puffs. You feed them poke beans to, um, to basically make them work harder and faster. And that just reminded me of it where it's like you just buy you just download a random ios game it's like a village builder and you buy the building and it's like okay uh this will be done in like 20 minutes but if you spend four crystals you can make it go now yeah. and, and stuff. instead of spending crist- or like real money on crystals you spent your other beans on it so i mean i feel like it's implemented well but again much like we were talking about earlier with the festival plaza i wish I mean, I actually like Pokemon Pelago, so I'm not like I don't hate it as much as the festival. But yeah, no, no, I actually do say while while I was making those uh, similarities, I don't mean it in a bad way because I think they actually do it really well. Because instead, it's like oh, you 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 have a, like a nice balance between getting these beans and also feeding them to your Pokemon. But also, it's like okay, um, this will last for longer now. It'll be done quicker, and you know, you, now you have a chance of finding better uh better treasures or now your uh, berries are going to grow right. faster yeah and it's just like it's another case where i feel like they should have kept super training and also like they shouldn't have got rid of super training for this like they both could have existed together but um but yeah and just aside from that like the battle royal i felt i felt it's kind of like a pointless feature that people won't really get a lot out of and then the pokey like the um the pokey finder was the last thing i wanted to talk about gameplay wise which you know, it was touted as almost the return of Pokemon Snap, but when you play it, the frame rate is god-awful, and there's only ever one Pokemon there running in a circle. So it's like a really boring, pointless feature at, at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it, it's like Pokemon Snap, except it's basically completely useless, you know? They're like, oh, if you get this many likes on your picture, you'll be able to upgrade your camera, but, you know, you upgrade that camera, and it's like, okay, now you can zoom in, it's like... Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. the big thing. And okay, then upgrade whatever. four is like a th- hundred thousand likes, which would re- literally be you sitting there grinding photos for like an uh, like an hour or so. <laughs> and it just <laughs> well, boy, I can't wait to just yeah. Also, I have to say, like it, that uses sort of like the uh, gyro the gyro controls, and it's sort of odd because like it gets really uh, desynced for me. So I'm just trying to catch a picture of this Growlithe, like, just the front side, but it's constantly, like, squirming everywhere. So I have a really... (laughs) I just have trouble trying to get, like, a really good picture of it. Yeah, that's why I just turned um, that off immediately. And I usually like gyro controls, but not for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like it was a kind of wasted potential, you know? You have this sort of Pokemon Snap-like thing that you're trying to implement, but you, it's very poorly implemented. And, Eve, like, I'll just quickly touch on the Battle Royales also. Like, I just think that's completely useless. They 
that that's just like a throwaway in the story. They're like, oh, here, let's do one round in this battle royale, and then one round goes, and they're like, okay, back to the story. It's like, okay, what was the yeah, point of that? Yeah, and they replaced rotation battles and triple battles for that because they said the frame rate couldn't handle it, which was weird. But and that's another case where that bastard Kukui is a liar. Like his wife didn't even know that he was the wrestler. <laughs> but that's a, that's aside from the point. But moving on to our favorite and least favorite Pokemon that were introduced into this game. Um, somewhat of a lightning round here, so I'm going to go through quick. Um, again, my biggest complaint on the roster is that no matter how um, you know, how, no matter how much variety is in each area, you're pretty much just running into Rattatas and Magikarp the whole game. But when you do run into new Pokemon, like there's very few brand new Pokemon in this game, and there's so few Alola forms of old Pokemon that I almost feel like it's wasted potential. But of what they do have. Um, Mudsdale, I thought, which is a, was a really good Pokemon, especially from its borderline broken ability where every time it takes damage, its defense goes up. Um, Primarina was definitely my favorite of the starters, because not, not only because I pick water all the time, but I ended up with all three of them. And I know you have all three also, so I don't know if you feel the same way, but Primarina's typing and its, its move pool are much more... Um, you know, offer like much more of an advantage throughout the story and outside of the story compared to like the grass starter. Its highest stat is a t is um, special attack, but it learns all physical attacks. And then, um, and then the fire starter is just fire dark, so it has a ton of weaknesses and it's really really slow. Yeah, I will say that uh, one of the things is that. Uh... Uh, I think Lydon. I think Lydon is actually the fastest out of all three of the uh, starters. But um, I, I will agree. I really enjoy uh, Primarina. I, I love the Poplio evolutions. Uh, Brione was actually my favorite of the three. I, I think Brione's like just so adorable. I actually contemplated at one point not evolving it for a while. <laughs> but um, I, I love I love that so much. Although weirdly enough. Poplio's the one where it's like almost a very slim chance of you getting a female version. <laughs> and that's weird too because I didn't know that that was the case and I my second one I ever bred was a female and I traded it off to my friend because I didn't realize. But I mean, I don't I don't, oh. I, I don't really care either way so it's not that big of a deal to me. But and um, some of my other favorite Pokemon though in this one um, I have to say I, I know a lot of people haven't been like too enthused with some of the more recent Pokemon. Like I know there's a lot of people who always joke about you know Klefki and uh, the one that looks like an ice cream cone, and in in, in this one it's Sandy Gast, which is a, a literal sand castle, in which I have to say uh, <laughs> I absolutely think it's hilarious. I I think that's actually probably one of my favorite ones just because how oh, yeah. it looks. It's literally just like a clump of sand with like a shovel sticking out yeah, of it. Yeah, that's but... me too. I, like, I always like the really dumb ones, mostly because of how worked up everybody gets. But I love that it evolves into a bigger sand castle, and its name is literally Palo Sand. Like, is it is it just me, or a lot of the Pokemon in this game sound like they're named after that they're Skylanders instead of Pokemon? It's like I could hear, <laughs> like I don't know if you played Skylanders, but I could I hear it. the narrator's voice like going like two cannon. Crab Brawler. <laughs> Two like, Some of the names are so weird, but but yeah, no, I love the Sandcastle too. Um, as far as a legend, Fire Quick Palo Sand. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But um, aside, like more towards the right back to the regular Pokemon, I thought Golisopod was a really good one, which is like the main Team Skull Pokemon. 
it has a really interesting ability where it automatically switches out of battle once it's taken too much damage. Um, Stuffle was like really adorable. That was another one where I didn't even want to evolve it. It's like a teddy bear wearing pants, pretty much. Oh yeah, that turns in, but that turned into like one of the most like weirdly intense Pokemon. Beware, yeah, and be- beware is like really really good. Like it almost, I think, wasn't that the last one that Kukui uses? And it almost, or no, it was the last one of the last ones that um, Luzamine used, and it almost oh. killed me. Yeah, I I just find it hilarious. It's this, it's just this bear that looks like super adorable, but it like has such immense such immense strength and in one of the pokedexes for either sun or moon it talks about how it like just completely breaks the back of like a pokemon and just completely yeah, some kills of the pokedex it. entries in this game especially like they've been getting darker but this one seems to have a lot of really dark ones <laughs> on. yeah there there is a lot of dark ones but it's like it's weird because in one version it'll have like a really dark pokedex entry like oh this pokemon like um uh, traps its user in a bubble and slowly kills it and then in the other one will say it's like oh it makes friendly little bubbles for all the yeah. other pokemon <laughs> yeah no that's something that's so weird i know but um Len- oh no go ahead going to one one of my other favorite pokemon i actually have to say it was the uh, starter bird picky peck mm. i actually really enjoyed that um i very much enjoy its evolution i really like how it's designed um, Trumbeak, I really like that second evolution, and then uh, going to two cannon. I just really like the Pokemon all around, and I think he really um, came through for me in a lot of the uh, things. Two cannon is funny because it looks pissed off like all the time. <laughs> yeah, he he just looks very like, mad. Like I'm I'm like, looking at him right now in the Pokedex. He just doesn't look enthused like, I really at all. like two cannon, but the one thing that turned me off from it a little bit, and it's kind of similar to Oshawott and like some other pokemon throughout the series where it looks nothing like what it what its previous evolutions were it's like how does a woodpecker become a toucan yeah i will say that that was a little bit odd because i can see the the similarities from picky peck to uh, trumbeak i actually really do like trumbeak i will have thought like i would have kind of liked the evolution to be like a almost a bigger version of trumbeak you know, a little bit more majestic, but instead you just get this, like, long-nosed yeah, parrot. Yeah, it's, it's so weird, but... For some reason. Um, like, rounding out my regular Pokemon would be Wishy-Washy, which is that Pokemon where it's a, it's a small fish, where its ability is that it calls a school of fish, and it turns into this giant one. And then when it's almost dead, it yes. basically po- becomes useless because the school disappears and it's just the one fish. Um, Lycanroc Midnight. I know that the sentiment is that Lycanroc Midnight's not very good, but... I really like both its design and it carried me through um, quite a bit of the story towards the end. So it's actually a rare rock Pokemon that's really fast. So I think that's what I really liked about it. Um, Oricorico, especially the lightning one that looks like a cheerleader is just completely adorable. And I don't care if it sucks, I'm going to find a way to use it. And then, oh no, go ahead. No, no, I, I actually really like the uh, the gimmick behind Oricorio where the different nectar you give it changes its uh, perception and types and stuff. I really do like that. It gives it more, it gives it more uh, variety right. to one Pokemon. And then as far as the, I don't want to focus too much on the Alola forms, but my absolute favorite by a long shot was uh, the Marowak because it's unique typing. It just looks great. And if there was one that I would just absolutely want to have around all the time on my team or whatever, that would definitely be it. But like, aside from that, like the legendaries and the ultra beasts, like the side quests of the ultra beasts at the end, I thought were handled really well. 
of like we said earlier the cover legendaries the way that they're um that they're handled and the connection they give you to them is really great but i have to say that i was actually really proud when i ran into the final pokemon in the pokedex which is uh necrozma and i found it completely by accident while i was searching for like a sableye or something and it's like the most badass looking pokemon i think i've ever seen Scene. really so uh where'd it's, you find um, it after you find all the ultra did you find all the ultra beasts already i did i did find all the okay. ultra and beasts. then you know the part where like they basically say oh another ultra beast appeared but they dismiss it because they said you found all of them yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah you have it's in the tall grass in um what's it called terracot terrac t carrot hill or something like that 10 carrot yeah 10 carrot hill 10 carrot hill um it's all the way in the back where there's a like once you go through the cave and go through the back and there's a bunch of tall grass back there, it'll just show up as one of the, as it's just a random Pokemon and it's level 75. Oh, really? Nice. It's even though they act like it's an ultra beast, it's not an ultra beast. So the ultra, the beast balls do absolutely nothing on it. And I actually wandered in there with only like three ultra balls, but I managed to catch it with a timer ball after like going back and forth for a while. But yeah, I thought that, oh, no, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just going to say that I thought that legendaries were really ha- handled really well. The poke- the new Pokemon had great designs and some really unique gimmicks. It's just that there's not enough of them. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, going back to the Alola forms, just very quickly, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Alola forms besides the Marowak had to be the uh, Diglett and Doug Trio. <laughs> I just love how it just has these flowing uh, blonde lock, golden oh God, locks so of funny. hair. It's oh just, God, so it's just so amazing. But my favorite Ultra Beast has to be the the uh, one of the version exclusives in Pokemon Sun, and that is Buzzwool. Is that the Buff Mosquito? He is. is mosquito? Yes, he is basically like this ripped insect, like this ripped mosquito, and it's it's completely amazing that his name is Buzzwool. <laughs> I I really like the sexy cockroach, but that's just me. And then just, I can't mention the Pokemon without mentioning the Tapus, which I thought all look really cool and have really cool gimmicks, but it's just weird that no one gives a shit that you just pretty much captured their gods. Yeah, I was actually uh, wondering that myself because I was playing through the end game. I had gone through the Pokemon League and finally registered. And, you know, that's one of the last scenes before uh, Lily leaves for Kanto which we never even touched upon that stuff. But um, basically, like, you, you go to thank Tapu Koko, and basically you get into battle, and you just capture it. It's like... And then you go around capturing all the gods of the islands. It's like, um... Yeah. <laughs> what would I, the kahunas think about this? You're, you're literally stealing their gods and just shoving them into the, this sad little PC yeah, box. Yeah, that's, that's definitely one side. case where I wish when you caught them it would have been story-related and not just, like, post-game content. Because I feel like you need, as much as they hype them up as being, like, the island guardians, that you needed a story explanation as to why you're taking all of them away. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, why are you all of a sudden just stealing away these, like, ancient gods that <laughs> worship them? I mean, I, I can kind of see, like, they kind of mentioned it a little bit when they were talking about how um, they respect strong trainers and stuff, but I don't think yeah, that was to the enough. Point, they respect you to the point where they're going to completely abandon their responsibilities and leave the islands to fend off, like, famine and disease while they're forsaking them to sit in your PC all day, <laughs> to hang out eating, to eat out hanging beans in Pokepalago. 
Good, uh, s- sitting, yes, just sitting yeah. in the hot tubs, being like, uh, maybe <laughs> yeah, I'll no. go later. I mean, maybe it's I'll ridiculous, check on the but, uh, bit. No. but yeah. Um, and I will say, going back to legendaries, um, I was, I am the one that was crazy enough to hunt down all the Zygarde cells and cores to create a hundred percent perfect yeah. form Zygarde. That's driving me, like, I appreciate that there's actually like a collectathon, like, um, like feature because you know. Pokemon games are usually hit or miss with post-game content, so that gives you a lot of things to do. But when I found out that some only show up during the day and some only during the night, I was kind of like, screw this, I don't want to bother. Yeah, I, I basically gave up on that and just looked at a uh, walkthrough. So I was basically like six away, and for about an hour or two, I was just trying to track down the last cell. Because I could not, for the life yeah. of me, find it. And, yeah, it's just. Yeah. I mean, it was just, yeah, just so yeah. frustrating. I mean, it, that's another part where it's like great in concept, bad in execution. And then, real quick before we get to our wrap up, um, a big portion of the game that they gave away in the trailers, unfortunately, was when you get to fight either red or blue. So, real quick, who did you choose, and who did you, and did you win? Um, I fought against Blue, and I actually really enjoyed it. I I won, because I think Blue was actually the easier of both of them, because I looked at a couple of Red videos, and it seems like Red was actually yeah. pretty tough. I picked, I picked yeah. Blue also, because I, I figured I Blue we fought Red already at the end of um, Gold and Silver, and I was kind of interested to see what Pokemon, um, which starter they would give blue which i know in i figured they would go by pokemon yellow and give him one of the eevees but he ended up having neither but yeah he almost killed me because um i didn't have an electric type with me that was another thing about that battle like almost every other major battle in the game they heal you before you start but when you get there they just throw you into the fight with either red or blue and so my pokemon were weak and i didn't have an electric type with me and his last pokemon was gyarados so he used like dragon dance a couple times and almost swept my whole team but i think my uh my uh Lurantis was able to like barely beat him before he wiped us out so but that was a lot of fun i wish that they were you were able to fight them again outside of the um outside of the battle tower which in this game is called what was it again the battle tree that's right okay so yeah bas- okay, so. basically it's just a bunch it's is yeah it's basically the battle tower where you can't take in legendaries but you know you are going up a flight of stairs and just doing this endurance test and trying to th- face a whole bunch of people i haven't really gone into that yet but um i know one problem that somebody uh, who i was playing with brought up was that you can't do it online you can only do it locally or by yourself mm-hmm. so right. that was a bit odd but um actually speaking of uh, red and blue i before we quickly wrap up our thoughts i want to just briefly touch upon um some of the end game stuff and um the connections between this and Kanto. Right. Because um, near the end of the story, basically what happens is you guys go to the Ultra Beast world. In this case, basically Ultra Beasts are said basically to be Pokemon from another dimension. And so basically, Lusamine gets, you know, she gets, what was it? Uh, she sort of gets, not brainwashed, She's like ends up comatose, but... essentially. Yeah, she she ends up comatose because uh, one of the uh, the what was the name of the jellyfish ultra beast oh, again? It was like n- I, I have, Nihello I have or something. Up. I'll look it up while you talk about it. Um, Nihello. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's it's kind of yeah, she she sort of uh, fuses with it, and she kind of in a way becomes ab- 
possessed by it. And so basically what happens is once you beat her, she goes into a comatose. But um, by the way, this is very... A lot of this stuff is actually kind of poorly explained, which even though I love the story, there are a lot of poorly explained things. Like it never really explained that Cos Cosmog evolved at one point. Neither did it explain um, some of the other things in the game. But basically, you find out that she still has a poison inside her from the Ultra Beast. And that they are sending her to Kanto because they they had heard the stories about uh, Bill, who created the Pokemon PC box. And how in the first game, he transformed himself into a Pokemon accidentally and used a Pokemon separation machine to get himself back to normal. And so they think, oh, so if we go to Kanto, we can possibly find Bill and, you know, cure my mother of this. So that's why Lily left Alola for Kanto. And she's going over there. And I thought it was really interesting, mostly because um, for the longest time, I had uh, guessed, because this is probably one of the biggest Pokemon games to date. It has, like, the biggest file size ever for a Pokemon game if you download it. I was really hoping that the post-game you'd be able to go to Kanto and, you know, explore this, like, brand new Kanto, like, 20 years after the original. Kind of like how you did in Heart Gold, Soul Silver, or just the originals. But I think this could open up the chance for there to be, like, a red and blue type sequel where you do explore Kanto as this person from Sun and Moon, and you are going over there to Kanto to continue this story. And I, I just wanted to know your thoughts on this. I think that I wouldn't even mind if we just flat out played as Lily if they did that, because, you know, we've done we've done the silent protagonist for so long, it would be a great shake-up and a natural progression of the story from Sun and Moon to actually play as Lily and become that strong Pokemon trainer that she finally decides to become while f wrapping up her story to cure her mother. I think that would be a really interesting way to take it, but I just don't... Like, that's all hypothetical, though, because I really don't think they're going to do another, like, Kanto remake. I feel like they're probably going to stick more to their formula and, if anything, do, like, a Diamond and Pearl one. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, if they were to do that, I would be 110% on board just playing as L Lily forsake completely forsaking the silent protagonist thing and just growing on that story and i just had a thought because again going back to that pokemon stars switch rumor i would love to maybe see something added like something like the delta episode you just add in like a post game where you get to either play as lily or you yourself get to go to kanto and experience that story and have it wrapped up I think that would be a really interesting thing to do instead of doing, like, a complete Kanto remake. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of directions they can go, and it's exciting to see what they can do. Uh, they definitely left a lot of threads out. I feel like we should just have a mini-game where we just need to shove Nebby in the goddamn bag. <laughs> just just keep see how long yeah. you can keep it in. Sort of like the uh, Battletoads Infinite Turbo Tunnel Challenge <laughs> yeah, right. replay. Just how long can you keep it in, yeah, him for in sure. the bag? But yeah, just to wrap up then, what are uh, your overall thoughts on this game? And if you were to rank it amongst the other Pokemon generations, what would you, where would you put this? Or what order would you have them all in at this point? Okay, so trying to think back, the Pokemon games I've played, not including spin-off games, but just mainline games were 
red, blue, red, blue, gold, silver, heart, gold, soul, silver, fire, red, leaf, green, omega, ruby, alpha, sapphire, and X and Y. If I were to rank them from best to worst, it would have to be gold and silver would be up there with heart, gold, and soul, silver being the first one because that's just still an amazing DS game. There's so much to do. I love some of the sprite styles in that game. I love the story. I love the legendaries. I love everything about that game. And so, Card Gold Soul Silver would still be number one. But I think trailing that would have to be probably Pokemon Sun and Moon because I really enjoyed some. I know there were a couple of missteps. Like, they, they still need to get that frame rate down. And um, the graphics could have been way better. I mean, um. I don't, I'm not usually a fan of Yokai Watch, but I do respect level 5 because they have some beautiful visuals in that game and they're constantly pushing the system. I feel like Game Freak hasn't tried to push the limits of the 3DS yet, and that to me is a bit disappointing. But otherwise, I think Pokemon Sun and Moon is probably the second best game out of them. Uh, trailing that would be the regular red, red, blue, yellow, which I is still a classic and I love. Just a simple story, simple gameplay mechanics. It's just simple all around. And after that would probably be Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, which I did enjoy for some a lot of the gameplay stuff, but a lot of the technical issues still weighed it down, and I just couldn't get into the story at all. And then Pokemon X and Y would probably be at the bottom because I'd never even finished that game. I got halfway through yeah, and then sure. got bored. And then for me, as far as Sun and Moon goes, I feel like it's a example of a game that takes one step for, uh, one step forward and two steps back. Because for every amazing, much-needed improvement that this game makes, it needlessly changed so much to make even the most basic things like catching Pokemon so much harder to do. And again... This generation has like the least amount of new Pokemon through most of the games through most of the game like the excitement and wonder of finding new Pokemon is completely lost when all you're doing is finding Rattata and Magikarp the whole time. Um, so it's like even when you do find new Pokemon it gets to the point where it's like it's the exception and not the rule. So a lot I feel like this is like roster wise I feel like it's a half generation like there's so little new you know there's so few new Pokemon that it's like it feels almost half hearted. Um, and on top of like you know the problems we were talking about as far as the calling for help, as far as how fishing's been limited, as far as how the encounter rate for a lot of Pokemon, even some old ones, are like one percent apparently, or that they'll only appear if another one calls for help. Like all of those unnecessary changes or unnecessary features, like the Pokefinder, which add like absolutely nothing, um, really weighs down on all the improvements that it made. Like no H, no more HMs. Like. Um, you know, some unique typings and some really good new Pokemon, a better story than most, like, for every good thing that it does, there's something else that, like, weighs it down. So with that in with that in mind, I know this is a very unpopular opinion, but my favorite generation was black and white, and at this point it still is. Uh, the reason is because that was probably the most ambitious one. Like, red and blue, that being the very first Pokemon game, like, everything that you found was something new. And black and white did a made a very bold move where it completely scrapped the entire roster. And until post game, the only Pokemon that were in the game were 150 brand new ones. So it brought back that wonder and excitement of red and blue and finding a bunch of new stuff throughout the whole game. 
not to mention that earlier how you were talking kind of making fun about how ruby and sapphire the 11 year old kid is like the only one who could save the world um Mm -hmm. yeah it it it, it try i think i feel like it tries to be a little too serious and also try to have this uh weird environmental message to it and I just yeah. don't think it works. But like with black and white, it was yeah. like, but like with black and white, it wasn't just you. Like that was the first game, and for the most, like the Kahuna's are still important in this one. But for the most part, black and white still the only game where the gym leaders are important. They go, they march into the final battle with you. They help you throughout the game. Like the side characters are just as vital to your success in the story as you are, and it makes the world feel so much more connected. And then once you get to the and had the most unique like final boss section in any of the Pokemon games because you're basically this is like Team Plasma was like the most threatening team out of any of the games because they it turned out that their true goals were essentially the same as every other boring team but throughout most of the game and as far as N who was treated as the main antagonist until the very end he thought and most of the members thought that they were trying to protect Pokemon from battles and so you're racing and he's just as good of a trainer as you are so you're racing him to the end of the game and once you get to the end of the game he beat the champion before you and then the legendary that he doesn't have comes to help you and it's kind of a legendary versus legendary battle and I felt like that game was just handled so well like it's biggest shortcoming though was that it didn't really introduce anything new mechanics wise but that's still why it's that's why it's still my favorite. Um, on t- uh, after that was Gen Two because for a lot of the reasons you said, um, it was just like the designs were great, the new Pokemon were great. It added two new types at the time. It introduced breeding. It introduced hold items, and most of all, it had that whole. It had probably the, still to this date the biggest post game of any Pokemon game where you're able to re. Uh, re-visit uh, Kanto and fight all those gym leaders before eventually fighting the true final boss, which was Red. So that's still timeless for me. Thank you, so Iwata. Um, or sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, no, I just said uh, thank you, Iwata, because, you know, it's because of Iwata's uh, compression tool that he made that the Kanto right. post and I wish existed. that was something that they would bring back as far as being able to visit old areas. Um, but yeah, aside from that, definitely um, my third favorite would probably be your least favorite, which is X and Y. And I'm including Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire in that because it's part of the same generation for my count. But X and Y just, I really loved Mega Evolutions because I thought it gave you a really interesting trump card. But aside from Mega Evolutions, from a competitive standpoint, it made, it streamlined so many things. So it made it so much easier to level up. It made it so much easier to breed for IVs. It made it so much easier to EV train. If you go into Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. Like I said earlier, I thought the PokéNav was the best thing to ever happen to the encounters. And if I had it my way, I would completely get rid of uh, random encounters in favor of being able to see them on the field. Um, but And then in- introducing fairy type after as being the new, the first new type in like over a decade was like a huge shakeup. So then outside of that, Generation 4, a lot of people say that's their least favorite, but I appreciate that it split physical and special attacks because if you remember there was a time where all water attacks were special and all ghost attacks were physical and that was the game that split them in two where surf is like where blizzard's a special attack but ice punch is a physical attack so it added a huge layer of strategy on top of reinvigorating a lot of old pokemon with new evolutions that otherwise are being completely ignored its biggest downfall of course is that the the um battles were really really slow but mechanics-wise, I feel like yeah, it deserves that, a lot that, more. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Like- and I feel like um, if 
they are following the route of doing, like, next game, remake, new game, I think that a Diamond and Pearl Platinum remake would actually be very welcome. It could really help, really change and make yeah, it a stronger game. And then at that point, that's where we get to Sun and Moon. I feel like for all the reasons that I've mentioned, all of its pros and cons, that it falls right below Gen 4 and below all the other ones. Um, Gen 3 was my second to least favorite because for as much as everyone jokes about 7.8 too much water, like when Ruby and Sapphire came out, the originals, not Omega, like everybody complained about how the game was mostly just caves and surfing. And there were so many random battles that it slowed the game down like immensely. And that was that was the only mainline Pokemon game where it took me like two or three years to finish. Like I actually put it down for a really long time and it almost took me out of Pokemon altogether. Oh, like like the, uh, ba- what was it, the Battle Plateau oh, yeah. on Emerald? Well, Emerald, Emerald made improve. like Emerald is when I came back to it and then I ended up going back and finishing uh, Sapphire. But like when Sapphire first came out, it took me, it took me forever to finally just finish it because I didn't really like it that much especially with how much surfing was involved and diving and all that, where it was constant random battles and it just got annoying to navigate. Um, And then lastly, it would be Gen 1. And not because there's anything particularly wrong with it at the time it was released, but if it wasn't for the eShop remakes, I probably would have put one above three. But going back and playing it, like the game just hasn't aged very well. And objectively, every game has vastly improved on it to the point where you know, a lot of the Pokemon designs, if if red and blue were to come out today and black and white were to have been the first generation, a lot of people would have the same complaints about how, you know, people make fun of the ice cream Pokemon. Well, I feel like back then, if they were released in reverse order, it would have been like, oh, look, it's a giant pile of sludge with a face. How boring. A pile oh, of sludge with oh, a face. Oh, wow. Look, it, it's it's a Pokemon. It's, it's a fucking yeah, it's a rock, rock with eyes. With eyes. Or, oh, Ooh, look, Geo, it's a Pokeball. Wow. It's a Pokeball so with original. eyes that evolves into an upside down Pokeball with eyes and a smile. It's like, <laughs> and it's like, you know, for everything, you know, of course, Gen 1 was what pioneered it and we all grew up on it and we all loved it at the time. But when you compare it to the other ones and like for as much shit as I gave Ruby and Sapphire, Ruby and Sapphire was really the first modern Pokemon game. That was the one that introduced natures. That was the one that introduced abilities, which are like really key points. It made items so much more important than hold items so much more important than they were in Ruby and and in uh, Gold and Silver. I mean, and then just Red and Blue is just so bare bones, and the balancing is all out of whack. It's even though we all had fun with the glitches, it's still like a, the glitchiest game in the series, which is a which is kind of amazing when you consider that red and blue that we got was basically a remake of the Jap- original Japanese one, which is even worse, glitch-wise. Worse. Yeah, basic, basically, like, the original versions in Jap- Japanese were, like, red and green, and the blue version is what we got for just the general. So the red and blue versions we got are basically the yeah. blue version in so, Japan. So, I mean, with, you know, with all that in mind, not to say that Gen 1's a bad game, per se, but every other game after it has been so much better which I think is more of a testament to how great that these games have been over the years. But yeah, the... Mm-hmm. And, and I know we're, like, ranking this in terms of, like, best to worst, but, like, even, like, the worst Pokemon that we're really talking about is, like, uh, to me, even though, like, you know, technically the worst, um, I still have immense yeah, fun course. with all of them. Yeah, I still find yeah, something for sure. to love And that's something that I feel like is a big reason why the series has endured for so long. It has something for everyone it's easy to pick up and play but has enough depth to keep your interest 
And I'm looking forward to being able to play this for the next 25 years, hopefully. And we'll be recording this podcast in our, in, on our social, collecting our social security checks, waiting to pick up the next two Pokemon versions and hopefully recording something else like this. So, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun talking about the games with you. Um, that's going to wrap up our episode bonus stage four, Pokemon sun and moon. As always, you could find us at geekscape games on Twitter. Uh, do you have any plugs or wanted to give out your name or people can contact you? Uh, yeah, definitely. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore ACZ. Same thing for Instagram. It's sort of a new thing I'm trying out. Never really understood it, but kind of getting into it. Although mostly Twitter is the main way to contact Perfect. me if you and want then to. I'm at Enu Joshua as always on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and just about everywhere else. So with that said, we're going to wrap up the episode. And thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. See ya.